everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. I don't know when this one is going to be going up, so I don't actually know the number of it yet. So uh, I'll just go ahead and say that we will be discussing the best picture of 1967, In the Heat of the Night, directed by Norman Jewison, uh, written by one of my favorite names, Sterling Siliphant, uh, <laughs> which I have to assume is a Dr. Seuss character, uh, based on the novel by John Ball. Now... Uh, Oh, I'll welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Hi, you heard me laughing already. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, if you could do that off mic, I would appreciate it. Okay. Um, so we talked about this movie somewhat recently. Yeah, I was going to say, I it feel like we had... It was film for Woodlawn, I believe. Yes, I think you're right. So... So we've know. said it all already. Yeah, so just go back and listen to that. All right, see you guys later. I'm joking, of course. We've got stuff to talk about. Um, though the the content discussion of this will probably be a little bit shorter yeah. uh, than, than most minisodes, but that's okay because then we can move on to the year 1967 and how interesting it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so okay. In the heat of the night, uh, I love this movie. It won best uh, picture actor adapted screenplay sound and editing. It was nominated for director and sound effects. I don't know what that means. Um, you know, gunshots and stuff, I think, uh, <laughs> So I love this movie. I think it is so many movies that deal in, in fact, this year, uh, so many movies that deal with race mm-hmm. in the 1960s. Some of them hold up. Some of them do not. Mm-hmm. Most of them have Sidney Poitier. Yeah. It's, <laughs> he was kind of the guy, the go-to guy at the time. Um, so one of the other movies that we'll be talking about is guess who's coming to dinner, which in my opinion does not hold up. Hmm. Um, this movie, I think, very much does. And I think it's in which, I mean, those that don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't, but those that don't know, it is about uh, a murder in this small, is it Mississippi or is it Tennessee? I don't remember where it is. Somewhere down south. That is a good question. I don't remember. Um, so I can find out. But uh, a small hayseed ta- uh, town down south and a Philadelphia cop who happens to be black is, is, uh, is passing through town at the same time that this murder happens. So they detain him thinking that he, well, he must be the killer. Not only is he black, but he also is a, is a drifter. And then he identifies himself as a cop. And then through a a series of wacky adventures, um, (laughs) he winds up working with the police department more, most specifically the, the sheriff played by Rod Steiger. And so the two of them are working towards something, but then they are also growing closer together as people. And then, one is white, one is black. They fall. Absolutely. Um, they go to New York to pursue, uh, their lives as uh, male (laughs) prostitutes. Um, and they say, I want, I want more, please, sir. Um, I'm incorporating a lot of different best pictures. Um, then they stand in front of an American flag. What? It is Mississippi. It's Mississippi. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the reason that I love it and I think the reason it stands up is because rather than have them sit around and just talk about, Hey, you're white. I'm black. What do we think about this? Rather than that, it just, it happens in like little fits and spurts here and there as they're working towards a goal. Mm, Yeah. And that's, I think that is the key. That is to me, I sometimes get crap from people for how much I love a good procedural mm-hmm. and the re and w- I own five seasons of law and order. Why? <laughs> I don't know there. It's the same episode over and over, except it isn't because a good procedural can actually slip in character moments without you even really noticing. But by the end of the procedural, you know, these guys, you know, the, these characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what makes in the heat of the night. So 
brilliant and so effective as a piece on race relations and and a piece on like i don't know just reconciliation between people that are different it could be class it could be race it could be gender it could be sexual orientation whatever it is um i don't know i to me in the heat of the night while it is very specific to these characters and its time i feel like it has larger things to say that i find invigorating um and it does it all while seeming to just be wanting to solve a mystery, which it does. I'm still invested in solving the mystery, yeah. but I don't know. So that's, that's my take on it. We'll, we'll break down more aspects of it in a moment. Like I said, this is going to be probably a shorter, uh, shorter minisode. That's my reaction to it. It would appear that you maybe don't love it as much as I do. Um, I, I am not the sort of person who loves procedurals. I totally understand what you're saying. And I can see that, that benefit. And I do think that's interesting. And that definitely happens in this film. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think generally that idea of having something else happening so that the sort of thematic elements have to happen along the way. Yeah. Uh, I think that's always a good, uh, a good technique. And I feel like it works in this one. Um, uh, the film didn't stick with me as much as some of the other ones that I've seen from that time Hmm. did. And, um, I think it strikes me as, and again, having not seen some of these for a little while, it strikes me as more dynamic than Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a comparison we have to make because both of these dealt with race relations yeah. and were nominated for Best Picture the same year. And had Sidney Poitier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of striking similarities. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's notable. I, I think it... I think it's important to note that Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is kind of a... I mean, it's a strictly a comedy would you say it's i guess so i mean it's you know it's a very specific type of comedy it's the kind of comedy where there's like the sting where there's not a whole lot of laughs right but it seems light except if obviously it, it, it isn't because right. of the the tone the the material it's, it's like an odd type of <laughs> it's like a uh a bizarro fish out of water <laughs> story if that sure. makes sense like He's the one who's uh, who's comfortable with him being there, meaning Sidney Poitier, yeah. and everybody else around him is not yeah. really comfortable with it. Which I think is the most is the most effective part about the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so much of the dialogue and so much of the, uh, all the actors are great, of course, mm-hmm. but so much of the dialogue and so much of the dynamic of these characters seems like okay, all right. It's because because the issue has been for the most part settled for lack of a better term you mean like for us now here yeah now? yeah i feel like it's just like okay you, you can it's not going to feel the same yeah um you can still appreciate certain aspects of it and that idea that inverse of the fish out of water thing i think is what works for me what works best about the mm-hmm. film but compared for me compared to in the heat of the night um which again because it's a procedural because it's a, a murder mystery that still works. I'm that will mm-hmm. always work. Yeah. Um, as long as you're invested in, in who, in who done it. Um, not that it's necessarily who done it, but there's elements mm-hmm. of that. Um, as long as you're invested in that, it will always be relevant to you, the viewer. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that's just me. Yeah. You seem to like, do you like guess who's coming to dinner more? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think this, I, I think, uh, I think in the heat of the night feels more effective to me. Mm. And I think, did I already say more dynamic? Uh, I was thinking maybe. that, but I don't know if I said it or not. Maybe. Listeners, you'll be the ones to know. I'm always at about 35% when you're talking. <laughs> um, 
but uh, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a film that I like. It's not one that I have revisited. Um, hmm. It's not one that I own. Um, so this is not a thing I say very often. I'll often say it jokingly, but I say it for real now. I think if you revisit it, you will like it much more. That's very possible. And it, and it might actually stick with you more. Yeah, it, it's it's very possible. And a lot of these films that I did see a long time ago, I saw it because it was on a list or right. or I saw it, you know, right. shortly out of college when my knowledge of film wasn't as developed as it is now. Right. So it could easily be, I thought the same sort of thing we were talking about, Midnight Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could be. Um, I don't think <laughs> that'd be the case so much with Oliver, but... <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, and I think f- in in b- in both this and and Midnight Cowboy uh, and and other such movies like French Connection and stuff, movies I I hadn't seen for a while, but then when I rewatch them, I come to realize it's it's usually individual elements that I come to appreciate a lot more. Um, and for, in the case of In the Heat of the Night, I had such a response to everything Chief Gillespie, the way he's written. The way he's played, because when I first saw it, I was young enough that for in the same way. That, OK, when I when I first saw the French Connection, I did not understand. And to a certain extent, I still don't understand. But I really did not get how a film that's basically just one long chase movie could ever win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. It seemed so what it's it just seemed like a shrug of an idea, a well, a, a well executed one, even more so. Gene Hackman winning best actor. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being like, how is this possible? There's not, he does a great job, but what is there to the character? What, you know, now as I got older, I realized, oh, there's a lot to the character. He's just not saying it, mm-hmm. which means the actor needs to convey it. And that's something that I didn't understand when I was younger. Mm. And that's how I feel about Chief Gillespie. Mm. He rarely talks about how lonely he is. He rarely he doesn't say, Hey, I'm the most progressive person in this small little town because I haven't killed you yet. (laughs) Um, he doesn't say that it all just comes out. And I don't know. It's and when I was younger, I just thought like, this character seems kind of surfacey. I don't, you know, it's Hmm. it's a good performance and all, but you know, I don't, I, I just don't understand to me. If an actor was able to just really sink his teeth into some into dialogue, that to me was the definition of good acting. As I got older, I came to really respect what Rod Steiger was doing, and just and as as I said, the way the character was written. Mm-hmm. And as much as I I love Virgil Tibbs and I love Sidney Poitier, but um, but to me there is a re- a lot of people a lot of people thought. Sorry to interrupt my own thought. Um, <clears throat> When you go back and, and look at lists of like oh major Oscar snubs, a lot of people will actually cite Sidney Poitier not being nominated for In the Heat of the Night hmm. where Rod Steiger was and at the very least they should have nominated nominated both but a lot of people think if anything it should be flipped do you think it was a race thing maybe uh, I don't know I mean I Sidney mean, Poitier had already won an Oscar at this yeah, point yeah um, but it does seem I, I can see people at least I can see that crossing people's minds even if it's illegitimate when sure there's a film that's about racism in the south and the white racist gets an oscar but the the sure the uh, the black character doesn't yeah it's it's an odd thing because and i will say this i feel like now when people look back and they say oh sydney poitier should have been nominated i feel like what they're saying i that maybe they're responding some kind of uh, racial thing i don't know i think they're responding more towards sydney poitier was a star and an icon of the time rod steiger was not hmm 
he was a dependable actor who would be nominated for no, uh, multiple awards and then win for this. Um, but you know, why, how could you ever give something to this guy whose name I don't really remember? Who's like an overweight, goofy kind of guy over Sidney Poitier. How could you ever do such a thing? Mm-hmm. I think that is because Sidney Poitier has proven out to be the bigger star. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people look back at this film and remember only him. But to me, as, as strong as his performance is, um, Rod Steiger is where it's at. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's, and then it's a, you know, good cast all around, including Warren Oates, who's always fun to see on screen. <laughs> um, so I think we'll move into, uh, the other 1967 best picture nominees. Good year and mm-hmm. Dr. Doolittle. Uh, <laughs> the other, this, nom- is, this is one where I've seen all of them. Uh, I've not seen Dr. Doolittle in many, since I was a kid. Uh, maybe it's really good. Somehow I feel like it is not there. There's a part with him riding a giant moth. That's that answers your question. That's fun. (laughs) Um, but wait, I thought, I thought that was Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, so here's the thing. So in our midnight cowboy episode, we were talking a lot about movies of the time. Mm -hmm. 67, as far as best picture nominees with one exception, which is Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. Um, these are movies that defined the late sixties yeah. well, in, in the things they explore or in just the way they are made. And that's, that's one of the things like, yeah, you said we talked about how movies were changing and I feel like this is kind of a continuum of, or it's, I guess like a sort of a spectrum of, mm-hmm. of uh, the movies that were being made at the time with something like Dr. Doolittle being the most, comfortable safe one again in the year of musicals quite possibly the highest grossing of the bunch yeah to could say. be um all the way up to I, i'm i can't decide which one would be the most sort of progressive one i think i would lean towards the graduate because that's a film that i love and that's one that i feel like sort of encapsulates the the move uh, the, the i guess commercial move of the film industry towards art film yeah I think what I like about, I'm going to go ahead and say in the heat of the night, Bonnie and Clyde and the graduate, what I like about the three of them is that with, with special recognition towards Bonnie and Clyde and the graduate, I get so uncomfortable when I watch them, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're such, they're such straightforward stories. They could be made in, in a very specific way. But I, when I think of movies of this time, I think of filmmakers and the same could be said once again, to go back to Sam Peckinpah, as we talked about with Midnight Cowboy, The Wild Bunch is an unpleasant movie mm-hmm. and and difficult to watch. And it's a Western. It's yeah. a Western about a bunch of guys getting together and like fighting uh, evil or uh, fighting this, this evil army. So it's like taking something like The Magnificent Seven, which is as fun as it can be yeah. and as noble as it can be and just yeah. kind of dragging it through the mud. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, The Graduate could have been like a goofy farce. Right. Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, that thing writes itself as mm-hmm. far as the tone you want. Same within the heat of the night. Um, but you watch them and they don't give you what you want. They mm-hmm. give you the reality. And when you see Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway and Bonnie and Clyde relate to one another and you see like obvious sexual metaphor, but you also just see how awkward they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't give you what you want. It gives you, and it doesn't even necessarily give you cold, hard reality. It gives you this other thing mm-hmm. that is invigorating but also 
I have a hard time returning to The Graduate. I have a hard time returning to Bonnie and Clyde. I can mm. return to In the Heat of the Night pretty well because it's got the procedural element. Mm. But um, but those other two movies, it's just... I get Even the visual quality of them I find uncomfortable because mm. I look at people that look that look uncomfortable. When I look at Benjamin Braddock in The Graduate, just whether it be the way he wears his clothes or the way he carries himself, he just looks uncomfortable and mm -hmm. I get uncomfortable along with him. <laughs> um, and then everybody in Bonnie and Clyde just looks really hot. And I don't mean hot, like attractive. <laughs> it just looks like, ugh, take your jacket off. It's too hot for that. Um, but yeah, so it's just when you, when you, if you were to watch all five of these, uh, you know, when you watch these five movies, the standard best picture contender is the outlier. Yeah. Which I think is kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, and then the other ones are, are kind of of a piece. And mm -hmm. I think that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so of these, what would you give best picture to? I'd, I'd go to the graduate. you go to the graduate? Yeah. I probably would still go in the heat of the night with probably Bonnie and Clyde coming in second. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot that I like about the graduate, but, but I've watched it maybe twice in my life. I own it. I don't want to watch it again ever because it <laughs> makes me so uncomfortable. Um, and I know that's weird, but that's just, yeah. that's the way it is. That's uh, oddly, that's one I find super rewatchable and I always enjoy it. And, and I th think part of it is it, it balances this comedy because there's definitely comedic elements to it, Yeah, uh, but it balances it with this sort of, uh, I guess this question of, this question of why I think it kind of examines, uh, the whys in, uh, normal quote unquote, normal suburban American society. Mm. And I, I think it takes a lot of the impulses that I love in say French new wave or something like that. And does something with that. That's uniquely American. It takes a character who, uh, is a very seemingly normal person kind of going through basically normal things. Mm. Um, but I think it speaks specifically to kind of the American dream and to the, uh, the, um, maybe the ennui that comes with wealth in a, in a, you yeah. know, first world country. And, uh, I don't know. I just kind of love what it has to say about that. And yeah. the examination of that kind of character. Ennui is a really good way to describe it. And maybe that's what I respond to emotionally is just this. It just seems like a film that's so pent up and like yeah. with nowhere to go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's kind of, that's the ending. Yeah, no question. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, so looking at other notable 1967 releases, there's a lot of, a lot of good ones, a lot of, uh, a fair number of iconic ones, such as the jungle book, the dirty dozen, Wait Until Dark. I feel, I'm not sure if I'd say it's in, uh, iconic, but it's one that people know about. I enjoy that one a lot. Um, that's a good film. In Cold Blood. Now, here it says The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I think that's more... I think that's a 66 film. Mm -hmm. That's one of those movies that because uh, because of how it was released, some people consider it 66, others consider it 67. That's I, thought the I same, think it's 66. I thought the same thing was the case with, uh, with 2001. Am I incorrect about that? Like I feel like it was nominated for some visual effects things for 68, but, uh, I feel like it came out in 67, but I could be totally wrong about it. Yeah. That. I don't, I, I don't know this. And this goes back to a thing that you were telling me the other day about Casablanca. It just, and this is where it can get a little, a little iffy. Yeah. Um, you know, as we talk, I've talked about my frustration with, uh, the Oscars and just, 
and acting very self-righteous and saying like, how hard is it to understand that if a film wins in one year, it's for the year before, <laughs> but then some things get very confusing. But yeah. uh, In Cold Blood came out this year, Playtime, a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Point, Blake, uh, Point Blank, a film that you and I watched uh, with Lee Marvin, mm-hmm. uh, which again is is like an action movie that takes that is made in 1967 and does not feel like a standard action movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, to Sir With Love, which I believe is another Sidney Poitier film. Uh, <laughs> and then Le Samurai, The Young Girls of Rochefort. Like, there were there were some really, really good movies in, in 1967. Looking at this, looking at the larger um, list, and let's go ahead and say Good, the Bad, and the Ugly belongs in 1966. Let's go ahead and just mm-hmm. say that. Um, looking at this, uh, would you, you'd probably still go The Graduate for I'd still 67. go The Graduate, yeah. Yeah, I think I might still go with... Um, Within the heat of the night, with uh, it probably for me it'd probably be between that and playtime, mm-hmm. which I think is marvelous. Um, you've seen playtime, I assume, right? You know, I don't know if I have. Oh boy, I've seen some Tati, but it's I, super French. You'd love it. I don't think I've seen that one. Okay, what's what's the what's the basic plot? I'm, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, not applicable. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, who, who is he in this in the movie? He's kind of a kind of like an observer. You know, he's like an observer yeah. and just interacts with the world a little bit, but more just kind of sees the. It's it's difficult to explain. I think I may have only seen. I know I've seen Monsieur Hello's Holiday, and then I've seen uh, Jour de Fête, the one where he's like the bicycle uh, mailman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think those are the only. Those may be the only two I've seen. I can't even remember if I've seen Mon Uncle either. Yeah, this is. I think this is the only Tati film that I've seen. I did see really? The Illusionist, which he didn't actually direct, yeah. but it's very. It's everything about it is him. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then I know a lot of people that love. I saw. I okay, hang on. I did not see the um, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. I saw the Young Girls of Young Girls of Rushfort, which yeah. I which I liked quite. I like that one a lot too. I saw that recently actually, and mm. I was somehow I either never knew or had forgotten that Gene Kelly was in it. And the moment he showed up, I was like, "Oh, this is great." <laughs> Uh, you're such a nerd. It's like, <laughs> well, it's I funny. forgot Gene Kelly was in it. And then when he, di- when he showed up, it's like, Oh man, this just got real. <laughs> I was so excited. Well, that, that's funny too. Cause I generally, mm, I won't say I don't like musicals in general, mm-hmm. but I think I like a certain type of musical and singing in the rain is that type of musical. I don't love singing in the rain. I, I feel like, rain. I feel like there's a certain, uh, quality to it that I, that I can I can respect, but I don't really respond to. Most musicals I don't really like that much, and mm-hmm. unless it's something where the music really does seem to be a pouring out of a character's emotions, I don't mind. What I think West Side Story is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love Cabaret. I love Cabaret. I think that one's really good. Mm-hmm. And then there are others. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I, at the same at the same time, I might also just be thinking about the musicals themselves as opposed to the film adaptations. I think the yeah. film adaptation of Cabaret stands up. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think so too. It's weird. There's kind of like a, uh, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about musicals as we go through the season. Yeah, we'll get there. But uh, I feel like there's different types, and there's there's kind of the early ones, which I think that's the stuff I gravitate towards a little bit more, which is something about the conceit of it being a musical and like the bursting into song thing mm-hmm. just feels like this is just a world where everyone accepts that. Yeah. And then into the sixties you get 
some where it's like they f- they're feeling like they're trying to work it in sort of and they're trying to get to the point that i think they eventually get to with things like cabaret where they f- yeah. it feels like it's a natural outpouring yeah yeah um and so i think yeah. seeing the rain is before that sort of i think happens. so and then there's that like there's that long long fantasy sequence uh, of just dancing yeah where part of me is like okay i'm fine with this i can respect it but let's <laughs> get back to things yeah you know um, i don't think that one what I think that's my least favorite part of the movie, but okay. I feel like that sequence, I always compare it to an American in Paris because they're very similar films came out at the same, around the same one time. Uh, that one has a long extended ballet sequence, which seems to, it feels like it to me interrupts the flow of the movie in more okay. of a way than it does in Singing in the Rain. Okay. So I feel like maybe I excuse the Singing in the Rain one a little bit more because I've seen the, the American and American in Paris one. Don't know if that's a, a reasonable thing to do, but that, that might be. I just want more Donald O'Connor. <laughs> Can we just have a whole movie of him? Uh, well, there's a lot of Danny Kay. That's kind of the same thing. <laughs> Is it? Wait. Which one? Okay. No, you're right. Donald O'Connor is singing okay, the rain. Just making he's, sure. he's essentially kind of the same thing as Danny Kay. Fair enough. Danny Kay was like the more famous Donald O'Connor. There's a lot of his movies. If you like those. Court Jester. Didn't see I don't know if I've seen any Danny Kay. I don't know if I have Who's really in White either. Christmas? That's Danny Kay. Dennis, okay. All yeah. right. I, wouldn't, so I saw that one. Yeah. I want to watch some of those movies, some of those old ones. Apparently, they're very silly, but I might sometimes I enjoy that. I've heard the Court Jester is really good. He did. He did the the. Oh, there's another one too. Didn't he I do Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court? Is that him? Might be. I think it is. Yeah. Um, okay, but uh, our discussion of In the Heat of the Night has devolved into a discussion <laughs> of da- uh, Danny Kaye films that we haven't seen, um, or movies that might not even be Danny Kaye films. Yeah. So films uh, that might not even exist. So to go back to, and I think, I mean, I definitely know the answer for me. If somebody were to say, hey, I I was thinking of watching In the Heat of the Night, I would say, yes, you should absolutely watch it. And then I would go one step further, which is if you haven't seen it, see it. Mm -hmm. Whether you're thinking about it or not, start thinking about it and then see it. I think it is definitely worth your time. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I'd say the same thing. Okay, so we will uh, leave it there. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will get you next time. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.